Welcome everyone. Uh, this is Carlos from SeedCamp along with Dave, joined here by a very special guest, very excited to have him in the room, John Collison from Stripe. Uh, and we're going to listen to some of his initial stories that led to the success that Stripe is today. We'd like to kick off, as we normally do, uh, with a little bit of background. The two of you guys, uh, you and your brother, started a, a company prior to Stripe. But let's take a step before that. Let's, let's start off at sort of the education layer and when you started uh, hacking around and, and what were the first projects you did that really led to that first project, which then eventually ended up going to YC and then, you know, they're kind of the, we'll cover the rest of it in a second. So what was that first thing that you guys did? Yeah, so the uh, first company, Patrick is my co-founder, the first company he and I had was, uh, we started off building uh, kind of a new eBay or a new Craigslist. You know, we thought that no one actually sold on eBay. It was all professional uh, eBay uh, sellers. And uh, we thought we were going to make a better, you know, mobile eBay that would have product normalization and all these fancy features. We ended up pivoting it into uh, professional uh, listing tools for eBay sellers, ironically enough. So a bit of a bit of a retreat there. Um, but uh, And that ended up getting acquired not that long after we started working on it. But that was the first company with which we, we went through Y Combinator. Um, and there, you know, basically it ended up as a, as a SaaS application. And that was where we first got exposed to this problem, you know, as it pertained to, to Stripe at all, uh, in that building a SaaS application back then and going through merchant account providers, I mean, it wasn't just that they, they were bad, even though they were, it was that they, it seemed that they didn't get the internet and that, you know, you would build a product over the course of a few days and then you would go to charge money for it. And uh, then you would go sign up on one of these, you know, merchant account websites and there'd be all the stock photography or, you know, of uh, some credit cards and a card swipe reader. And, you know, you, you'd finally be able to sign up, find the sign up form. And it's like a PDF that you print out and fill in or something like this. And you're like, guys, this is not how the internet works. Uh, and so, and then later on, actually, we had made, um, we had been working on iPhone apps for the first, uh, even before the iPhone app store existed for the jailbroken version, and then uh, later for the, for the app store version, we'd, we were working on this uh, iPhone app. It was pretty cool. It's back when, you know, not everyone had unlimited data plans, especially abroad on the iPhone. Uh, it was uh, an app that stored an offline copy of Wikipedia. Uh, and so it was like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It was like all human knowledge in your pocket. Um, and these days it's less relevant because, you know, everyone has good data plans and stuff, but, but back in kind of 2007, 2008, it was, it was more relevant. And uh, so we've been working on that for a while. And there, you know, the app store kind of takes care of payments for you, right? You know, you just list that. In fact, we probably wouldn't have turned it into a business, except, you know, when you're listing something on the iPhone app store, there's a little, che there's a little check mark that's, you know, do you want to accept money for this uh, and click a price? And you're like, yeah, sure, why not? And it actually turned into a, a you know, fairly real business that we worked on during, uh, during college. So we had these two experiences, one where despite you know, absolutely being dead set on it, we almost didn't get the, the SaaS business off the ground because merchant accounts were such a pain. And then on the other hand, when payments were really easy, a business that we probably wouldn't have made a business, but just there was this checkbox, actually ended up becoming reasonably successful. But, uh, how did, I mean, but that, when you were going through, through school in, in that period, this idea was actually requires a little bit more of an understanding of how merchants work. And how did, and especially for early, early founders and, and, and young founders at that, how did they get that exposure into sort of 
to commerce to, to understand which layers need disruption because a lot of the stuff that sometimes people work on is more akin to what their daily life is, which is not necessarily these kinds of big problems. How yeah. did you get that? Yeah. So, I, I mean, for us, this was a problem that we had very much felt ourselves. Uh, and, I mean, there was a ton of stuff about the industry, yeah, that uh, in the early days um, uh, that, that we did not know. Uh, and we would run into all these, you know, the payments industry was mostly dominated by people who'd been, in, you know, literally in the industry or maybe at the one company for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. Uh, this was what it was back then. But as a result of, and I think this actually applies to a lot of industries and is what a lot of startups are taking advantage of, is the fact that, like, when you have been in your own industry for too long and, you know, you've been drinking your own Kool-Aid for too long, you know, the, the payments industry had developed all these, like, acronyms and structures and, you know, it, it was making people come to them and people learn the payments industry as opposed to making a good product that people actually expected. And so everyone adapted themselves, you know, to the payments industry. They just accepted that, you know, you'd never actually know up front what you're going to pay because there's all these random fees or, or you know, they, they just say that, oh, well, you should start the merchant account process four weeks before you actually want to launch. Uh, and so everyone was adapting their own behaviors to the industry. Uh, and the industry had just yeah, been run by people in it so long that they couldn't see that this was dreadful. Um, and, and I think that's often the case of, I mean, startups that end up entering industries. It's someone from outside the industry that comes in and, and ends up being pretty successful in this. Because, you know, for, for, for us, we had been the target customers, right? We had not been the, the traditional providers of it. Uh, and yeah, I mean, there was a ton of stuff we had to learn. Uh, we did not initially know really anything about how payments worked. And so, you know, the first version we built of Stripe, you know, we built the function to charge a credit card. Uh, and, you know, we had this nice API and accepted the credit card number and, you know, the, the amount and the currency or whatever. And then, you know, it was like dot dot, uh, something happens here to charge the credit card uh, uh, and, uh, and, you know, then we return success. And so a lot of those, you know, initial months was figuring out what is, you know, what did we stub out here? What is the something that goes here to, to charge the credit card? And how did you guys divide your roles? I mean, you know, for, for those of you that are, that are in the room, we have some of the founders, Seedcamp founders here. Um, how did you guys decide how you were going to do that from, from a, you know, you guys obviously being brothers, uh, there's a little bit of understanding who you are for a long time, but mm -hmm. probably a risk there, some fear there about yes. whether or not this was the right thing to do, work together, family, and how did you divide that up, and right. then how did you do the research for these problems? Yeah, I don't know if this will work uh, for everyone, but in Patrick's in my case, I mean, we... Uh we just kind of both did everything and that there's a big lump of work and you're both kind of attacking it. And so, you know, I know that some people do, you know, well, this is the technical person, this is the product person, or, you know, this is the technical person, this is the business person. I guess, I think, you know, sometimes you get this, you know, uh, it's like, you know, a joke about people walking into a bar. It's like a banker and, uh, you know, an engineer start a company together. Uh, whereas in, in Patrick's, in my case, we had pretty similar backgrounds. You know, we were both from engineering backgrounds. We both kind of had fairly little startup and business experience. And so we both wrote code, we both recruited, we both raised money, although we kind of split it in the middle. So then that gap you identified within Stripe, the early version of it, where you had this hole, how did you go about tackling that then? Yeah, so we, um, we actually set a few fairly kind of strong product requirements early on that we got into our head of how it was important. Uh, and I think it was really useful in the initial version of the launch product that we hadn't compromised on those. And 
you know, it, it made clear to people that we, we took this seriously. So one was that we were determined that sign up would be instant. And again, for a web product, this, you know, I always have a little bit of trouble explaining this to people, you know, who didn't operate in the industry back then. And that for a web product, it sounds so completely obvious and taken for granted, but it very much wasn't the norm for anything that involved kind of your money or, or moving money around. And there, you know, there were all these requirements around, you know, who you can pay out money to and laws and things like this. And, and so that was actually quite tricky. And the first kind of Honestly, six months or maybe a year was people telling us that is literally impossible. Like it just can't be done. You need to go through the checks and whatever, and you know it'll take a number of days. Uh, so, so that was a strong requirement we had because we felt again for for a web product uh, that, that that was mandatory. That, uh, and so we even you know took that to possibly. Uh, to, to lengths that were possibly too far, where you know we wanted the sign up to be so easy that you actually clicked sign up, and then you were brought into a real live Stripe account, and you had your API keys, and you could play with it, and you could make transactions and things like that. Like that. But we hadn't even asked you for an email address and password. Uh, the idea was that you could sign up, play for it, see that it was it was real, and you know uh, it was not just some kind of vaporware. Uh, and then there was a sidebar on the right where you provide a username and password. Uh, so you know we had this lazy registration that that was meant to kind of drag people down the funnel. And it's actually quite confusing to sign up. For for a service and like not have because like what happens if you close the tab how do you get back to that data and you have this orphaned account and things like this uh, and so there were later things that we unwound but I think it was so useful in those early days where people were, were used to it being so hard that we kind of went way over onto the other side of the spectrum and said we'll make it so easy it's confusing um, and kind of uh, going all the way there. S similarly you know we, we, we went pretty far with the trying to get across to people that you know we were technologists ourselves we understood you know that you're building a web app or an iPhone app or something like this and um, um and, and that these are the considerations you have. Because, like, literally, uh, you know, again, the previous payment companies, they, they, they would have, like, mail order slash internet payments as, like, one of the drop downs on their site. So, you know, they, they considered, you know, oh, this internet thing, it's like mail order, but over your computer. Um, and, and that was kind of the level of understanding they had. And so we went so far as to, you know, we had a sample API request on the homepage that you could actually run and would actually charge your credit card if you did it. Uh, and, and again, we wanted to, uh, you know, go all the way over here to prove that this is a production system and it works and you know we get that and I think that you know now that you know people or at least people in this industry kind of understand a little bit what Stripe is and I think honestly kind of the state of the industry has improved a little bit I think now we can kind of step back from that a little bit and you know we don't have to kind of uh, to, to, to make that point so vehemently but early on it was useful to uh, to be really really crisp on you know it's instant it's simple we get code all these kind of things and, and what I liked about that was I think some people will push you know in the in, in the marketing landing page they will push you know those headlines of you know it's instant simple whatever but it's much more effective to actually prove at a product level that you know this is what the product is it's simple in that here's the sign up button and it takes you into a production account like that's what simple is you can kind of bray that it's simple till the cows comes cows come home but uh, it's much better to just show it from a product perspective and I mean you're building the product you have you have control over what that product can be uh, you know you decide what what it is that you value but, and that you get those across but how did you get there I mean I, I, I know Dave has a, a series of questions that he wants to go through with regards to the, the current stripe but if we just take maybe one last pass at kind yeah. of the, the the history that led tri prior to yeah. stripe how did you I mean you speak about it very fluently right now you know mm -hmm. you share these thoughts about how product should be and, and you know, it sound like the kind of founder that has lived through many battles, yep. and maybe you can share maybe those early screw ups from the you know the Shupa days, or, or, or where where you had to learn these things because they, they roll off your tongue, but there yep. must have been some story there where you didn't get it right. And how did you get that knowledge that yeah. some of these founders are working their way through right now? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I mean, there are lots of screw-ups that weren't kind of permanently damaging. They just uh, delayed us in that, uh, you know, we spent, um, we spent two years from writing the first line of code to actually being able to launch the, the, the product publicly. And if you asked us, you know, I have the emails to prove this, if you asked us at any point in those two years how far away from we were from launching, it was always a month. Uh, like, you know, we had no sense of estimation. We were one month away from launching for two years. And of course, at a certain point, we were a month away from launching. But, uh, but we really kind of didn't have a sense of, of how much the workload was. And so we were kind of like, you know, the Roomba vacuum cleaner, just kind of going around trying to figure out where the exit of the beta period was. Uh, whereas I think now we would have a much clearer idea of like, we need this, this, and this, and, and be able to go. And so, you know, now when we launch, say, new countries on Stripe, we literally have a checklist of, you know, all the various things we need. But in those early days, I mean, yeah, like I said, most of the screw-ups were not kind of existential, terrible things. It was just the fact that, you know, we tried so many routes that didn't work. We wrote code that we later, you know, threw out. And that's very, that's very, I mean, you're still very much discussing this at the product level. Yes. But how about the commercial stuff, be mm -hmm. it everything from the, the, the sales process and and how you even described stuff on the website. Yes. Was that you, the two of you, or did you bring somebody early on quickly to solve that problem and so you could guys focus on product? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the first version, uh, you know, no is a short answer to that, and that we always stayed pretty involved in the product level. Uh, you know, the first few people we hired were all engineers, and in fact, the first, uh, the first person we hired who was not an engineer was like our seventh employee, I'm going to say. Uh, and even that, we were like, uh, you know, one of our angel investors had to kind of snap us out of being silly and that we were in this mode. We're like, well, we're not sure we're actually going to hire anyone who isn't an engineer. We're just going to stay, you know, building stuff or whatever. And I don't really see the need for business people. And he was like, you're being an idiot. Just hire this guy. And we were like, fair enough. Um, and... Uh, uh, Trying to think of other early. I mean, another one was honestly on the partnership side. Uh, you know, we did not know how to uh, talk to banks, uh, and in the early days, we kind of didn't find the right partners, or you know, maybe we um, uh, went in waving our arms about, around, mm -hmm. talking how you know the internet was going to uh, you know upend banking as we as we knew it, and you know, maybe they weren't that receptive to that uh, particular <laughs> pitch. Um, and, uh, and I think we, we learned how to speak, you know, fundamentally you have to make the other person want to partner with you and yeah. you have to pitch them on, you know, there is some opportunity for them there. And I think we, we finally got the hang of that uh, and we're pretty successful once we got that down. But uh, am I answering your question? I feel like there's Yeah, I mean, to, to some extent, it, it sounds to me like you, you were open to suggestions for, mm -hmm. for whom to bring on and that yeah. you guys knew effectively like, okay, this is where my expertise stops, which is good. Yeah. Dave, I know you had some questions. Yeah, so I mean, one thing I wanted to ask about, I mean, there's, a, I don't know if anyone's heard about the, the Collison installation, which is a, a, a famous quote, but in the early guy, in the early days, you guys were actually very hand to hand in terms of getting the first few customers. So, yeah. yeah, walk me through. Like, what was your? You know, you launched in in I think fall of 2010, and then had the the public launch mm -hmm. that it, maybe six to nine months later. Like, what was that? What were those early days like? How did you get those first customers, especially yeah. seeing as you didn't have any credibility in the market as such? Yeah, uh, the, uh, the, the beta period was actually a little um, longer than that. We got our first customer in January 2010, and we launched in September 2011. So there was a full kind of 18 months between first uh, beta customer and, and launching. And, I mean, uh, it's hard, right? You know, you, it's hard to get the first customer for any service. But now imagine the service uh, where it's like you should run all your revenue through this and have your business depend on it uh, and trying to get the, the first customer for that. Uh, and so it was obviously kind of small startups uh, in the uh, 
in the in the early days, and you know maybe it was that you know we we never we never took on a, a a company where their chances of failing were not significantly higher than Stripe, uh, and so just as Stripe's chance of failing has come down over time, we've been able to take on more conservative companies. Uh, but the first few, the first maybe five to ten companies, we all personally knew, uh, and then we started. Um, uh, also uh, talking to a lot of the Y Combinator companies, and that was a really useful early network where you know they knew that there was some element of trust that these are not just to you know people who came off the street. We have some connection with them, uh, and in their case, you know they kind of viewed it as I can either again go down this merchant account rabbit hole and learn all about that, and I've heard it's dire, or I these these guys seem pretty responsive. I can uh, use this and yell at them when they have when I have problems. Uh, and they did have problems. That was the thing. You know, onboarding them was only the start, but it was a it was a better interaction cycle for, for them to be able to you know uh, come complain to us when yeah. you know when, when something broke. Then yeah, I mean, quite often you know a payments product that isn't something that people would usually think would spread word of mouth or mm -hmm. have any kind of virality yes. in those early days. But yet somehow you didn't have any marketing. You weren't spending money on user acquisition through all these different channels, it did kind of grow virally, right? Yeah, uh, and uh, no, totally. You would not expect you know, a, a payments company to exactly have this uh, viral effect, but we, we had some interesting phenomena. One is the market that we were selling into, which is kind of software developers, is actually pretty tight-knit. You know, people like to talk about software and the tools they're using, and you have all these things uh, like uh, Lifehacker and uh, uses this and all these things. Like People are passionate about kind of good tools and productivity and and, and, and solid fa uh, foundations, uh, and you know, I even f f uh, found in the early days, you know, you could sell to developers by just saying this is really well built, and they're like, hmm, and you know, people like, you know, certainly developers like things that are well built. That that works a little less with the business people. Um, uh, and so uh, that was one, is that when you're selling to a small, tight-knit community, you will get this nice word-of-mouth dynamic. Again, if the product is, is something you can talk about, you know, that instant sign-up helps because there's kind of a concrete thing to hang your hat on. You can, uh, you can say, oh, it's really cool. You can sign up instantly for it. Um, the, the other was that we actually added uh, a beta invite system to... I've always thought we should bring this back for our international betas, and I'm... Uh, Silly that we haven't already, but uh, in the very early version of Stripe, the only way you could get access was, you know, for one of us to invite you, or for an existing customer to invite you. And existing customers had a finite number of invites. And again, we figured that, you know, if you were using Stripe and if you were successful on it, you probably knew people who would, uh, who would, be, who would be able to give you access. That helped us kind of rate limit access to a level that we could keep up with. You know, it was never just open sign up, and it kind of added this community element where, you know, I can get you into Stripe. Uh, I think that actually ended up working really well for us. Yeah. And then you talked about opening up new markets. I mean, obviously something that Stripe, you, you were kind of limited to the US at first. You built the functionality to launch into new markets. How did you, as you and Patrick as founders, how did you go about um, extending the business? You know, did you, did you kind of set up a London office and mm -hmm. then extend? Do you have a distributed team? Yeah. How, how did you do that kind of going from one market into other markets? Yeah, so with us, there's a bunch of different considerations, right? You know, we have to have banking partners in the regions where we operate. There's the kind of regulatory and compliance perspective. There's the product localization perspective where, say, for here, you know, America, I mean, they, the, a lot of American companies, especially American startups, don't take the international markets seriously. I mean, this is the, the country where the baseball tournament is the World Series. Um, and uh, whereas, you know, here, people are much more likely to, from day one, need to be selling pounds, dollars, euros, all this kind of stuff. So we actually needed to, you know, as we, as 
it wasn't just a question of you know putting the infrastructure in place uh, to be able to sell here. We actually need to make product changes where uh, adding multi-currency was, was one of the things we, we did for the UK because we realized the product would not be good without it. Uh, and there are all these other you know changes as we go to other countries where we realized that you know maybe you know Stripe as it exists today is a product of its, of its environment. It works very well for the US market. We hope that you know there will be a lot of shared infrastructure, there will be a lot of shared development across all the countries. We won't have to build a completely new Stripe. You know, hopefully the dashboard works really well wherever you are. But uh, it does require, and I think some companies do not have this, it does require some commitment to that like last mile product development. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I think you also need to hire people in the market. Yeah, and then so, uh, obviously that's kind of um, Stripe now launching in lots of markets, but I mean you and Patrick growing up outside Limerick mm -hmm. and then you, you, you were actually in Boston uh, mm -hmm. doing your, your first company, but moving to the Valley. I think a lot of our founders here, they start here in, in Europe, then yeah. they're London, and then they think about bridging to the US. How, how important do you think it is for a founder nowadays to make that jump like you guys did, or is it different times now? I think it sort of depends on what kind of company you are uh, you're starting. And honestly, Stripe, in a way, is an effort to not make it necessary to, you know, move somewhere, to move to Silicon Valley to start a company, uh, in that, I mean, before... Uh before Stripe, you know, you had much better infrastructure available to you in the U.S. than, than say, you did in Ireland. I remember that from, from growing up, and I think that's that's true in lots of ways, and you know, still somewhat today. But it it, it kind of personally bugs me that uh, there, you know, d despite the fact that we're all online, uh, that it's so much easier and you have so many advantages starting a company in Silicon Valley than London or Berlin or you know wherever it is. Um, for us. The big thing was actually being near our uh, customers. Like you talked about being able to sit down next to people and help them with the integration. There were so many technology companies uh, in Silicon Valley and they were so freewheeling that uh, it was pretty easy to get going with them. Uh, and, and you need, you know, you, you actually need a pretty large number given that, you know, our, our probably our conversion rate on getting people to use it was pretty low. You need a, a large number to begin with and there's so many just being spun up at any at any one time. I think if you're starting a company that is more compelling than Stripe was in the early days, perhaps you'd be uh, you'd be better off. And also the way I see it is just it's breaking down by by industry. Where you know you look at New York and the the companies that come out of New York, and you have you know some very media oriented companies, you have some very uh, uh, fashion oriented, you know, e-commerce things like that. And so if you're selling to uh, if you're selling to media companies or if you're selling to, uh, to, 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 to to brands or something, I think it totally makes sense to be based in New York. I think it's it, it's sort of industry dependent. If you're, I think if you're selling to technology companies like we are, that will be a strong argument for being in Silicon Valley because there's so many of them. Yeah. But a lot of the other arguments people make, like you know, investment. You know, I think once you get to the the you know once you get to the size where there isn't those kind of investment dollars locally, I think you can hop on a plane and, or you know, maybe even get them to fly out and meet you, you know, if you're at that stage. So on the scaling side of things, how many employees are you right now? We're now 250 people. 250. So at your previous company, uh, the one that got acquired, how many people did you have max? Uh, we only ever grew to six people. Six people. Yeah. So what was the biggest shift for you in terms of people management that you had um, during that growth, the, the current growth process? Like what, what number of employees did you stop remembering people's names? Like at what point did you start? I still know everyone's name. You know everyone's name, 250? Mm -hmm. That's excellent. Okay, so scratch that question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Next question Presumably is... Presumably we'll get there eventually, but... Uh, presumably. Yeah. Uh, you have not had buffer exceed yet. Okay. Uh, yeah. 
But at some point, the operational culture, the, the, and I, I, one of the questions that we were debating earlier today was whether or not you do the onboarding yourself mm -hmm. you know, as, a, as the CEO. Yep. Um, do you, do, at what point did you, though, feel like there was a step change in how you had to manage the organization? And yeah, what yeah. employee count, and what were the major steps you took in terms of defining roles and, and sort of uh, hiring people to then do those processes for you? Yeah, I think there'll be different step changes in, in terms of how it feels for, uh, for, for, for different companies. You know, for, for, for me, you know, where I noticed it was like Stripe was one kind of company before, you know, up to 10 people. It was another kind of company up to about 40 people. And then it was another kind of company up to 150 people. And each, at, at, at each of those stages, I can see that it kind of it felt different after, after we exceeded that point. Uh, you know, one big one will be, there's this stage, you know, of a company where you're just all sitting around a table in a room uh, and, you know, you have these various photos of various kind of startups at this early stage where, you know, it is one kind of sea of desks and a bunch of laptops around it. Uh, and once you go beyond that and start having kind of processes where it's not kind of one, you know, at, at Amazon, they talk about this phenomenon of a, a two pizza team that they think basically no project should be bigger than a, a team that could be fed by two pizzas. Um, uh, American pizzas are pretty big though. So, um, <laughs> Uh, and I think there's something similar where, you know, when a startup is still a two-pizza team and everyone is working on the, on, off the, shape, the same Trello board, uh, that's one thing. And once it starts to kind of break down and sub-segment into teams, that from then on, now you're getting into these organizational questions. Uh, and then it's just degrees of organizational questions. You know, we have our, our cross-stripe goal-setting process coming up and, you know, we're uh, setting goals for the companies and doing so on a team level and all this kind of stuff. And that's just a different version of a... Of a of what you would do at, at maybe 30 people, but you know, in that early up to eight people, I mean, you can just get a phenomenal amount done because you're generally working, you know, you're generally working pretty hard and there is so little communicate, you know, this N squared communication problem. Uh, there is so little communication overhead at that size that uh, it's pretty So cool. what would be the piece of advice you'd give a, a founder who's hit that Mach one level and is now moving into the, the 40, like you, yes. you said your next inflection was 40, so sure. in that weird zone, yes. uh, what would you say that the biggest piece of advice you'd give founders to sort of manage that process well? Well, well so here's one observation, I don't know if it's advice, is that there are a lot of very successful high growth companies that you can point to that uh, they grew so quickly and they were so successful that the product did not really end up changing that much for like a number of years. Uh, and so, you know, they were building, 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 and then, you know, the product takes off, and then it was just like holding on for dear life. I mean, you look at uh, uh, Uber, there was a really long time when, you know, the core product didn't change because they were just like trying to keep up with growth as much as possible and onboard drivers and stuff. Uh, Dropbox um, for, for a really, really long time because, you know, they were, they, they were growing like mad. And, and so, you know, Dropbox started off where Drew and Arash, you know, made this really compelling product. You know, it's like a box you could put your files in. And then, you know, a box you, it could, you, that you could put your files in, it remained for, 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 for quite a number of years um, because they were just trying to keep up with the growth. They were rewriting the back end, things like this. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a, a you know, a, uh, a scary thought that if you are successful and this, if this actually achieves what you wanted to achieve, you will not really be able to change it for like n years. And so, you know, how do you feel about that? Is this the right product to, to, to be able to? Now, I think that can lead you to a scary conclusion of premature optimization, but it is an interesting uh, trend to observe. Is this one where uh, products are almost victims of their, of their own success?
Yes, I mean, one kind of, uh, one interesting thing I've, I've heard people ask you, if you weren't working on this problem now, if you weren't doing Stripe, mm -hmm. what, would you, what would you be working on? We had a teleconferencing a minute ago, but... Yeah, so, uh, I mean, uh, there are some companies that I think are actually quite, uh, there are some companies that I could never really have thought of. Uh, and then there are some companies that I think all of us could have thought of, because the problems were, were just like, they're staring us in the, in the, in the face. You know, for, for so long, at least in San Francisco, getting a taxi was utterly dreadful. Now, how they, how they, uh, how they solved it was very in innovative with the whole kind of uh, limo scheme thing, but uh, totally obvious problem. Uh, I think of uh, Slack as, as a really, really kind of obvious company in a way in that their execution has been tremendous. But, you know, you could have gone to any company and asked them how their group chat situation was. And, you know, we, we spent ages at Stripe looking for, you know, a, a group chat setup that actually worked. And, you know, IRC, you do all this work yourself. And HipChat, you know, the Linux client wasn't good enough and all these problems. Uh, I think of Stripe, honestly, as like a fairly obvious uh, company that is like, you know, payments but not dreadful. Um, and uh, we just kind of took that and just like kept hammering away at it until we finally made some progress. And so of course the question is, you know, there's no reason to believe that there is a finite supply of these totally obvious problems staring us in the, in the, in the face with huge market opportunities. And so, you know, one we were talking about just before is, is, is video conferencing where it's still really hard for us as a as a company with people based all over the world to just kind of seamlessly video conference and you always spend the first kind of five minutes of, of every meeting or at least we do like always the right number for me to poke in or you know they can't join or you have to create the invite. It's, it's somehow it is still uh, you know and I, I think we installed you know our video conferencing software correctly but it's still unsolved somehow in this day and age uh, and so that's one. Uh, I, I think there's tons more it depends on actually the more specialized kind of your experiences in a way that's better because you have an insight into what's broken that, 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 that nobody else does. Um, uh, which is why I think you, you sometimes see, you know, uh, Oracle has produced a lot of companies uh, that, uh, Oracle has produced a lot of other enterprise software companies. So, you know, uh, Mark Benioff from Salesforce worked at Oracle before, Zach Nelson from NetSuite worked at Oracle before, uh, there, was, there was someone else I'm forgetting. You know, all these people see where the Oracle product is failing and see where customers have, uh, you know, big issues and they go off and they set up a company that competes with Oracle. Um, uh, you know, from your experience, either as a consumer in day-to-day -day life or actually with us, it was kind of in a business context. I mean, you get, you get to see all these problems. Uh, video conferencing is just one. So yeah, I don't know if that would be top of my list, but uh, it's definitely a, a pretty possible one. Cool. Um, so I, I'm conscious of time. Uh, and so to, to wrap things up, we usually like to have uh, you shamelessly plug something you're very passionate about. Um, and, you know, anything, it could be enterprise, it can be commercial, it can be a uh, charity, uh, yeah. or your brother, just say, hey, <laughs> perhaps my brother. Yeah. So, um, uh, could do that. Uh, uh, I, I will, you know, I, I, I will put in the plug for the video conferencing startup, because, you know, if you build it, we will use it, um, and uh, we'll be your first customer. And then, um, gosh, other things to plug. Uh, you know, one trend that we see is massively on the rise is mobile marketplaces, you know, of the likes of, uh, you know, Uber or Airbnb or Halo or what have you. We think there are just, uh, there's definitely going to be a ton more of those. Because, you know, when you 
you know, when you digitize commerce, uh, there are so many benefits you bring where, you know, as, you know, Airbnb solves the discovery problem that when you're actually going on vacation or, you know, when you're going to a new city, you don't know where you want to stay and it helps you solve that. They solve the liquidity problem where they make more stuff available in the market. They solve trust and safety. They solve quality. There's all these separate problems that they solve. And so we just feel that a huge amount of commerce is going to move to these marketplace models where, you know, the marketplace, the app is not providing, they're not doing the job itself, but they are kind of aggregating the supply and they're actually in a way, you know, Airbnb lets the supply compete and that they're all trying to, you know, outcompete each other in terms of which is better. Um, and what's cool is that, I mean, the scale of the internet lets these actually get pretty niche where, you know, there's, uh, uh, you know, there's an app for, you know, there's a, a network for container shipping and there's, you know, there's all these like uh, applications that get pretty specialized, but we think this trend is, is massively on the up. And so, I mean, it's a, it's a shameless plug because, you know, we have a product Stripe Connect specifically for this. And so, uh, you know, we, we hope that if you end up building one of these, they will all use Stripe. But but I think, you know, regardless of Stripe, this is just a, a massively influential trend. But then, and, and you guys set up a Stripe fund. Is that something to plug? Mm. Is that still going? Oh yeah, that's still going. That's true. Um, uh, we have a, a fund for companies is building on the Stripe platform, so you know you can get access to you know users can link their Stripe account with your with your app, and you can kind of instantly get access to their Stripe data. So if you're building some kind of business intelligence or VAT or you know any app for solving a problem like this, uh, it, we will, uh, along with General Catalyst, uh, invest in uh, in your app. Uh, and so yeah, that's the uh, General Catalyst uh, Stripe Connect fund. Cool. Thanks.